If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John today. We're continuing our series on stability in in an unstable world. How do we have the certainty? How do we have stability? Uh, John is writing to people that are struggling with the very question that I think that we're struggling with today. How do we know? How do we live? How do we prepare ourselves for the unexpected? How do we know how to make sense of a world that, let's be honest, kind of comes at us at a dizzying pace? It's a lot. It's a lot right? It's a lot. Uh, and so how do we make sense of all these things? I think one of the things that we've done in our, <laughs> in our uh, current culture, uh, one of the things that maybe I've done, or I, I see people around me doing as well, uh, is to just kind of check out, right? Like just, you know what? I'm going to hold the opinion that this person over here holds and then just kind of back out for a little while uh, and not, have, not hold something, not stand on something firm. And that, that becomes a problem. So John's writing to people who are struggling with some of the th- same things that, they're, that we struggle with today. And he writes this letter and he cares about these people and he loves them and what he wants for them is for them to be certain, for them to be sure. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for me. And so I know I want it for you too, to live certain, to live convinced, to live convicted that the God-man came to earth as a baby, lived a righteous life, died on a cross, taking our sins upon him, was dead and buried, and on the third day rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And it's from there that he'll come to judge and to take us home. I want you to live your life. I want to live my life convicted and convinced and certain of those things so that no matter what happens, that is the thing that holds me stable and holds me firm. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to keep going through this and looking at what it is that he said. Uh, He's moved into, John has done this really interesting thing in this letter and he has based, he's kind of talked about salvation. There's multiple ways we could talk about salvation. Uh, different aspects of it, right? Uh, beautiful gem that you could turn and, and see from in all different lights. But he has cast salvation uh, in the terms of knowing God, uh, in knowing and being in relationship with the Father and the Son. John has told, started out this whole letter saying, hey, let me tell you about this guy I know. Right, I met, I saw him, I put my head on his shoulder, I heard him, I saw him with my eyeballs, and you know what? I entered into a relationship with the, him, I trusted him, and entering a relationship with the son, I entered into a relationship with the father. And I, you know what? You guys can have that too. So he's cast salvation, being rescued in, in terms of, of knowing God being in a relationship. And so we're, we're at the end of chapter two. So if you have your Bibles, First John 2, you'll benefit from having them today. Uh, they're excellent things to have. First uh, John 2, I'm gonna start in verse 26 today and then we're gonna just go through 3.3. Three. We're crossing the chapter mark today. I love it when we get to do that. Uh, all right, so here's the deal. Relationships are powerful things. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but they they affect us. Um, The people in our lives change us, right? I mean, the first relationships that you have, the relationships with the caregivers, the the, the hopefully your mother and your father, whoever it is that has cared for you and loved you, uh, that relationship has a powerful effect on who you are. I think in some ways, some of the things that we deal with later in life uh, flow out of those relation, that, that early relationship. Our assurance, right? I, I grew up, I remember when I encountered uh, 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 later in life, this guy, and he just, no matter what happened, he just never seemed to believe and accept that he was loved. 
And I just realized all of a sudden that, 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 that for me, it, I, I grew up in a house where even when I screwed up, I, I knew that I was loved. It's a powerful way to walk through the world just knowing that you're loved, right? And, and, and from parents who did that in order to point me to Christ, not because I deserved it, but they knew that that's what they were supposed to do. And he didn't have that, and the powerful impact it had just was just stunning on me that he just could not accept that he did not have to earn. I thought I had it down. Learned later in life, I did not have it down. <laughs> it's a thing we all have to work on. But that relationship is so incredibly important. Uh, relationships with friends, right? That's just a powerful impact. Uh, turns out, I hate to admit it, my mom was right. Who I hang out with matters, right? Who you spend time with, it affects you. Uh, don't tell her I said that. Uh, it, but she was right. And, and, and being married, Wendy's, the impact. Of 20, we've been 24, married 20 years together, 24, known each other longer than that. Like her voice is in my head, right? That relationship affects me. It's changed me in, in, in amazing and beautiful ways. Uh, Gibson, for his birthday, uh, got a one wheel. I don't know if you've seen one of these death traps, but they're amazing. Uh, it's like magic. It has a gyroscope in it. It's just got a single wheel, and you stand on it, and it throws you off immediately. It's unbelievable. Uh, and so there was nobody at the house. So I pull out the one wheel. And before I step on it, I go, I hear in my head, what are you about to do? And I was like, I just ignored it. And then I could hear in my head, you're going to kill yourself. Are you really going to do this right now? I, I can't even watch this. What? Chris, Chris, you are 47 years old. Do not get on that thing. I heard it in my head because we've been together. She wasn't there. She didn't say those things out loud. If she had been there, that's exactly what she would have said. I did it anyway. I fell down and hurt myself. It was bad. But it's good to have that, that relationship that affects you and changes you, which is why I think so many people's lives become just torn apart when something as foundational as a relationship that matters is broken. A marriage breaks up, whether it's your parents or your own, and it, it shakes you to your core. It, it makes you question everything. It, it's so foundational, and they, they affect us in such a powerful way that when that foundation is cracked, we don't know what to do. It's like a, an emotional and psychological, and that manifests itself physically, earthquake. I can't imagine being an earthquake. I see videos of it, and I'm like, the very ground underneath your feet moving? Nope, don't know what to do with the world that does that. And that's what happens sometimes in lives when relationships that are important and valuable crack. Man, it can be unstabilizing for a long, long time. And so this is what he's talking about today. He's talking about to people whose relationships have been fractured. They were part of a church and these people left. Not only did these people leave, but they now are trying to convince people still in the church of a different truth and a different reality, and it's shaken them. And John's writing to them, you don't need to be shaken. Reality has not changed. What's true has not changed. I know that they don't believe. I know that this hurts you. I know that these people left and they're saying something different. But you need to know you can be certain of the thing that you believed. And so he writes this, verse 26, chapter 2. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointed, the anointing that you've received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
but it says anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you. Abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink from him and shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God? So we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what if what we will be is not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because he, we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Whew. All right, little heads up. There's about 45 sermons in here, but it's okay. I'm not gonna do all of them. I'm gonna do one of them. He starts off by talking to these, this, this, you hear this affection, little children or, or beloved children. He says, I want you to abide in him. I'm writing this thing so these people who have uh, uh, deceived you, I'm writing you to, so that you can know that there is something true. What you have believed is true. And there is an anointing that you've received. Talking about the Holy Spirit that God places inside of his followers is placed inside of you. You've received from him. It abides in you and you've no need for anyone should teach you. These people are going around and saying that you needed some kind of secret teaching, right? Uh, We know from some of the Gnostic writings that we have, uh, that's what it was called. You had to have special knowledge, Gnosticism. Uh, We know that one of the things that John was combating was this idea that you needed some kind of secret society hall pass, right? To get into this secret knowledge. Oh, we know God too. We know that you know God, but we know him in a special way. And he says, you don't need anybody to teach you a special way. The thing that you learned is the thing that you know. The thing that you know is the thing that you can hang on to. You don't have to have some one of these false teachers come teach you a new thing. So here's an interesting thing though, right? Because this gets a little, a little sticky. He says that you don't need any human teachers. Well, well he clearly doesn't mean that you don't need any teachers at all, or he wouldn't have written them a letter to teach them a thing, right? Like the, if, he, if they don't need any teachers and the Holy Spirit's just gonna teach them everything, no point in the letter, right? And he's said elsewhere that we need teachers. So it's, he's not saying you don't need any teachers. He's saying these false teachers outside, you don't need them. Also though, here's an interesting thing. And it gets a little tricky. Uh, I think that we need, we need two things. The scriptures are amazing and they're wonderful and they're beautiful and they're complex and, and, and I just can't get over the beauty of them and they're wonderful. And here's the deal. I think you need two things really to understand this, to, to, to navigate and know what to do and what to believe. You need the word, but you also need the spirit. It's a little... T- it's a little tricky because I get nervous about people. I'm on record already as being uncomfortable about people who claim to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. I get, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It does. I just get nervous is all I'm saying. Because usually it involves them telling me something I need to do, right? Like, I feel like if I was supposed to do that, God would have told me, not you. But I get a little uncomfortable because anybody can claim that, right? Anybody can claim I heard from the Holy Spirit. Hey, man, I heard from the Holy Spirit and you give me 20 bucks for lunch. You just claim it, right? Like, how am I supposed to know it's true? That's why you also need the word, right? You, you, you need this word to, hey, does this line up with the whole entirety of scripture? Not just one verse, but does it line up with all of that scripture teaches? Here's a good test about whether or not the Holy Spirit is speaking to me or not, or speaking to you or not, whether or not he is revealing something in the text. I believe that's what the Holy Spirit does. It, it kind of shines a light on the text. If you've been a Christian for very long and maybe read through the Bible a few times, 
It's crazy how, or maybe you, you memorized a verse, or, or maybe you heard a parable, and the first time you heard it, it meant one thing, and the second time you heard it, it meant another, and the third time you heard it, it meant another, and you started wondering, like, how many times can I read the prodigal son and be wrecked by it? It's the Holy Spirit. As we live lives shining different light in different places in our heart, the Holy Spirit does that. So how do we know the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, right? Is, does it line up with this? Here, here's a good test. Uh, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it will glorify Christ, not you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it'll make a big deal of him. It will line up, if the Holy Spirit is speaking, it will line up with the entirety of scripture, not just one verse plucked out. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it will lead you to confession and repentance and brokenness and great joy in the forgiveness of God. Right? This is how we know, because it leads us to the things that the Bible lifts up. This is how it works. So he says, you have this anointing inside of you. It's this spirit that a person of God placed inside of you. So when I tell you that Jesus really rose from the dead and you don't need any secret knowledge, you know I'm telling you the truth, because the Holy Spirit is affirming it in your heart. That's what he's saying. Not that they don't need any teaching. They don't need some secret teaching that has not already been revealed to them. Of course, we all need to continue to be taught. I write these things to you that you, about those who are trying to deceive you, but the, uh, the anointing you've received, it, it abides in you. From him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. And then he repeats himself. And now, little children, abide in him. There is an interesting thing about the Bible. Uh, It continually does this weird thing where it insists that there's something that's true. It consistently insists that there is a truth and there is a reality. I understand the appeal, at least for a moment, of the idea that you have your truth and I have my truth. Well, that's your truth. You live it out, right? I kind of get it for a second because I could, you know, my truth could be whatever. Like John Bonham's the greatest German of all time, right? Like I can live that truth out, right? And if you disagree, we can fist fight in the parking lot afterwards. It's fine. Like we can, you live your truth out. I live my truth out. I get that idea. Problem is though, that doesn't work very long. What if my truth is that the money in your pocket's mine, right? Then we're gonna have a problem, right? This conflict is gonna arise. And the Bible doesn't, the Bible teaches a whole different thing. It, 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 it teaches that there is one reality for all of us. I get a little frustrated sometimes. Um, I think that maybe we've misunderstood Christianity using the word religion. Because here's the, here's the truth. I, I, I'll hear conversations or, or debates sometimes and people will say, you can't bring religion into the public sphere. You, can't, you have to leave your religion outside. And I'm like, my religion is not something extra to what I believe about reality. My religion teaches me what is true about reality. I can't leave it. I, I, this is how the universe works. I can't leave how I think the universe works out of it. It's just the reality. The Bible reveals to me what is true. And so I can't leave it out. It insists that there is a reality, that they are telling lies, and there is a truth and a reality. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he's returning again. I can't live my life apart from that. It's not just an extra thing that I've tacked on. It's not just a bumper sticker in the shape of a fish on my car. It's a thing that I actually understand everything else through. And so the Bible insists on this truth and this reality God's reality, and it's, this is such good news, by the way, because of this. It's something you can build your life on. 
I think that so much, it says writing this thing about people that are trying to, that being deceived. I realized late, recently uh, that I live most of my life assuming everybody and everything is trying to trick me. I don't know why. I think it's all the advertising constantly, right? I can't check my email without being advertised to. Like I accidentally watched an old clip of a football game the other day. I had an accident. I went looking for it. It was Bo Jackson. All right, I met it. So I was looking at an old Bo Jackson clip, and I was watching old football footage in, on TV, and it was unbelievable. The only thing on the screen, the only thing on the screen were the players. That was it. That was it. There was nothing at the bottom, nothing on the side. There were no advertisements anywhere. It was just that. Now I was trying to watch baseball the other day. Behind, there's 14 ads behind the batter. There's one projected on the back of the playground. There's on, on the back of the mount, pitcher's mound. There's stuff down the side of the crystal ball. <sighs> Everybody's trying to sell me something, right? They're trying to sell me their truth, right? They're trying to sell me their version of reality. I just assume you're trying to trick me constantly, right? Like to, in, into believing that your way, trying to deceive me into thinking that your way is the right way. But here's the problem with that. If I started to believe that I would just be happy with the next car, when that car gets old, guess what I'm gonna need? I'm gonna need another one. If I just need a bigger house, guess what? Just one day I'm going to need a bigger house. What if that house doesn't make me happy? I realized this about myself some, some years ago. I was driving through Mountain Brook, uh, you know, where like the, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Driving through Mountain Brook and I was like, what if somebody just gave you one of those houses? And after I got over the reality that I couldn't even afford the taxes on the house, if somebody gave it to me, I was like, man, if I could just have this house, you know what would happen? I think it would be six months in and I'd be like, I think I want a different house. Because that's how my heart is. Constantly wanting the next thing and the new thing that is nothing to build your life on. It is a wonderful, wonderful truth that the stability and the reality, and the stability of the reality that Jesus Christ came and died and rose again and is coming back, you can live your life based on that and it won't change. There won't be a new version. You can just abide in that reality and that truth and live fulfilled and happy. Unbelievable. That's what John is trying to remind them of and convince them of, that you do not need this and the Holy Spirit will speak this into your heart. Verse 28, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John introduces two very, very interesting ideas that he's not talked about before up until this point in this letter. The first one is in the first verse 28. He says this, not shrink from him in shame at his coming, at his appearing. He introduces the reminder to them that Jesus is near. I mean, he, we can't see him, but, but he's going to one day return. And he introduces this, this notion that he's going to come back and return one day and appear. And so therefore, there's going to be a time when we give account for the life that we've lived. And he says there's going to be two reactions when Jesus appears. There's going to be those who shrink back in shame, right? Hiding at the life that they've lived. And those who confidently approach him with eagerness. Those are going to be the two reactions when Jesus appears. When the king returns, when he comes back, those will be the two reactions. The shame that we see in the garden, Adam and Eve, they sin and they fall. And they, 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 first thing that they do is they realize that they're naked and they run and hide. I wish that we grew out of that, right? You see kids that do that, right? You ever walked into a room and been like, uh-oh, it's too quiet. Someone has done something and hid. 
right? Like that's how, like if you're around kids long enough, like that, that feeling is like, mm-mm, somebody did a thing and they're hiding from me. And they have to go hunting for them to find out what they did. It's our instinct, our natural response. I still do it. I hide behind excuses. I hide behind pride in the thing. I hide, I just, we constantly need to hide from our sinfulness and our brokenness. There's this human need for some reason. We, I think we all realize that we all understand that at some point, I think that we're going to have to live, give an account for the life that we've lived. And he says that there is a way that when Jesus returns, that you will be able to be confident. And it's not because your life is better than anybody else's. It's because of who you are in Christ, because you have remained in him. Not because you did it, you lived up to his standard, but you abided. You remained in him, living out the reality and the truth that we see in Jesus' death and resurrection. You lived that out, you remained there. He says this. He says, that right below this, he says, um, if in, uh, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, then you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Second idea he introduces is this. Being born again. Is he's going to return, and the way that we have confidence is that we've been born again. Or begotten of him is how John says it here. That we have been born of God. So that's, let's be clear, that's a weird thing to say out loud, right? And even when Jesus said this to a guy, the guy was like, that's a crazy thing to say out loud. Why would you say that, Jesus? Here's what he's talking about. It's John's way, and he's picking up on what Jesus taught. It's John's way of communicating that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we surrender, when we decide to follow Jesus and live according to his ways, when we accept him, right? The Holy Spirit comes into our lives And we are given a new nature, a a new life. Uh, So here's the deal. You come into this world with a human nature, right? Make sense? You you have a human nature. You were born into the world because you were born of human parents. You come into the world with a human nature. Uh, You don't have the same nature as, I don't have the same nature as uh, my golden retriever, Mabel, right? And, And that means something, right? Like we had two different natures. I have a human nature and she has a, Lazy nature, like a golden retriever nature, right? And we would expect different things. I hope you would expect different things of me and Mabel, right? You can expect to find Mabel on the couch all day, every day. Hopefully you don't expect that of me. You can expect to find Mabel overly excited about random things. You can expect Mabel to be... Happy always. She probably is not going to write a book or a song. She doesn't have thumbs, right? Or a comprehension of language, right? Human written language. You're not going to expect that of her. If she bit the mailman, which she wouldn't do, but if she bit the mailman, though, you would say, you know what? She's a dog. Right? Like you, would, like you wouldn't like freak out like you would if, for example, my son Gibson bit the mailman. You'd be like, whoa, what, it, what are you doing? Right? If Mabel bit the mailman, it would be upsetting because Mabel's sweet. But if Gibson bit the mailman, I would have to have more money for the team of counselors that we would need to figure out why he bit the mailman. 
because he's a human and he's a human nature and that means certain things about how you live and what you do and how you act and what's expected. It's why we say things like these living conditions are inhuman when we see poverty in third world countries. Right now in Florida, there are people living through inhuman conditions. Pray for them. Without water, without food, just in terrible conditions. It's inhuman. We, we have a concept of that. We come into this world with a human nature because we have human parents. But that's not all that we would expect. Just because we have human parents, we also expect a human to live in a certain way. Yeah? That's what John's driving at. John's driving at when you accept Jesus, when you say you're a follower, become a follower of Jesus, when you see the truth and the reality, when you see the beauty of who he is and what he's promised, when you see this deep truth and reality, you go, that is real, I will live my life based on that. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you receive a new nature, a spiritual nature, a nature that is God's nature actually flowing into us, an eternal nature flowing inside of us, it would be weird then if I bit the mailman. Right? Like It would be weird then if my nature was not affected and impacted by the fact that you have God's nature now inside of you. Jesus talks about this. He uses the image of a vine uh, and branches, Right? the life of one flowing into the other, that we are the branches and the fruit that we produce in our life, the things that our life produces, is because we draw on the life of God, the eternal, beautiful, powerful nature of the one who made us. So that is what produces our life. He says, abide in this reality. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. There is a new birth. Now, here's an interesting thing, though, right? It says, it says, and I could do a whole new sermon about this, but I'm not going to. Real quickly, everyone who does righteousness is born of him. Here's the thing, though, right? Like, I know people who don't follow Jesus that are by some standards, better people than me for sure. Right? Like I, I know people that are kinder, gentler, more, more honest, more open, more generous than me that do not follow Jesus. What, what do I do with that? And so we have to understand what he's saying is not some moral standard that you've achieved, right? I mean, almost every religion that exists, every one that I know of, would affirm the Ten Commandments, right? The morality. Don't murder. Don't steal. Cheat. They would affirm these things. The morality is not what's different, right? It's how we achieve righteousness, So Jesus comes and he begins to preach and teach and not only is his standard off the charts that somehow my thinking and my heart, my will and my desire have to line up with my actions. What? That's a whole new level. Uh, uh, What? Saying crazy things, not just like love your enemy. Okay, I can see how that's good for the world. But saying crazy things like, I know you're not supposed to murder, but like if you've been angry with someone, you're still guilty. I'm sorry, what? You can't even have wanted to have hurt somebody. I'm sorry, what? That just jumps up in my brain. I I feel pretty good about myself and I can just beat that back down. Right? When I don't just run them off the road. Mm -hmm. I feel pretty good about myself. 
And my heart, my, my heart has to line up with that? My instinct has to be this? His level of righteousness is not only unbelievable, but it's that he himself is that righteousness. He lives that out. And I don't go and achieve that righteousness, but somehow his achieving that righteousness counts for me. That's ridiculous. What? What? Which, by the way, is what the next verse says. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? Christmas tree says, what? Or as the psalm that we just sing, what kind of wondrous love is this? What is this? It's, I think this translation, look, I'm, look, always be suspicious. If you, if you ever have to go to another church and be with another, always be suspicious when the preacher's like, well, I don't like this translation. Like, who cares what you like? Uh, but um, I, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I, I want to communicate to you that, that this C is an imperative. It, it, it means... Let's use old King James. Behold, right? It's, it's uh, you need to stop and think about this. You, you should contemplate this. You need to d- drive this reality deep into your soul. That's what he means when he says see. He says see what kind of love the Father has given to us. It's saying this, the love that we're talking about it's from another planet. It's from another planet. It's from a different country. It doesn't make sense. This kind of love doesn't even make sense. We've never encountered in our lives this kind of love because not only did we not ask for it, not only did we not want it, we were actually angry against him and he died on the cross anyway. What kind of love is that? If I text you, you don't text me back, I probably will delete you from my contacts. Like, I, like, I just, I, you know, like I, I, what kind of love? Like, I once asked Brian to build an app that if anybody put me in a group text message, that it automatically responded, I hate you and deleted you from my contacts. Brian tested it out. It did not go great. People did not like it. I did. What kind of love that while we were enemies, dies for us because it's what we needed. And it's not just that. He says it's not just that. He goes, not only did he die because it's what we needed, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? That's what we are. Not only died for my sins, but gave me a whole new inheritance, a whole new nature, a whole new everything? What? If you got that in the mail, you would throw it away. There's no way that's true. People trying to trick me. What kind of love is this? That we're called children of God. And so we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it didn't know him. It did not recognize that. It's not going to recognize you and me. It's going to be weird. We're going to line up in some ways. We're going to agree in some things with the world and some things that we're not. And it's going to change as culture changes. But what will not change is this wondrous love that will constantly confuse people when we live it out. In some capacity or other, in some way or another. There's going to be a world that's constantly confused when we say, no, don't do that. It's not good for you. And they go, why can't you just love me and accept and do whatever I want? Because I love you. What kind of wondrous love is this? That even when you don't want it, cares for you and pursues you. That's what this is about. 
The reason the world does not know us, does not recognize us, because the reason we're going to be weird in this world is because he was weird in this world and they didn't get it when they saw it in him. What makes you think they're going to get it when they see it in us? <laughs> and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. <sighs> I've already been through all this stuff. Blah, 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 blah. Here it is. Here's the difference, and here's what this make, why this matters. It's this big deal. There's two errors that we can fall into, right? Two errors. At least two. When we look at this text, when we think about this love, when we contemplate these things, one error is this. We can look at this love and say, I don't deserve it, and we can begin to try to earn it. I thought that I just understood love that was just like this, I did not. When you do something or you encounter something and your heart breaks and it rips out and you get angry at God and then you go crawling back to him and he shows you new mercies every day, that kind of love cripples you. It just brings you to your knees. And I wish it would stop happening. <laughs> you discover new depths of his love, but it's always out of a place of failure in my own heart. So what I find is that I instead default to, I've got to earn it. I didn't think that I had to earn it, but somewhere in my soul, in places that keep remaining hidden, I keep having to dig out, and life keeps digging out, there's a part of me that looks at him and says, I'll do whatever it takes just so you'll love me. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. There's another error you can fall into that has a common element, this one. The other element, the other one is this. Yeah, God forgives, God loves. I know he does. He has to love me, right? Like, that's what he's like. It's his nature. He loves me, so it doesn't matter what I do. He loves me. You know, he'll forgive me. You know, you hear this from the, like, nobody can judge me but God crowd, right? Like, yeah, he's loving. He's merciful. Like, he'll he'll forgive me. But then I just go about living my life however I want. And here's the difference. Here's the, here's the thing that, these two, that those two errors that we can fall into share. It completely abandons any kind of child-father relationship. It, one of them is like, I don't really need a relationship with him. He's just a good guy. He'll take care of me. But I don't know him. The other says, what do I have to do to earn your affection? It's not a father-child relationship. John cast salvation in the light of knowing him. When you are in relationship with someone, it changes you. Here's the deal. It's not just that we've given this new nature. We also have his nurture. It's great debates, right? You know, nature versus nurture, blah, 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 blah. It's both, right? To what degree? I don't know. Depends. But with this, in scripture, we have a new spirit, a new nature given to us by God's spiritual life, and then he begins to nurture our hearts and, and begins to shape them so that we love the things that he loves and hates the things that he hates. And he guards, our, he, he, he shapes our hearts and, and by the things that he brings into us and the relationships and the events and the successes and the failures, and he shapes our heart to beat like his and he nurtures us. And our response needs to be two things. One, when we stumble and we fall, to run to him and confess and repent, knowing that he loves us. He's our father. 
what kind of wondrous love is this that we have been made children of God? Unbelievable. The other thing that we do is this. Not only do we go to him and run, and run to him when, when we, we stumble and when we fall, the other thing that we do is we put ourselves in situations, we put ourselves in places where our heart and our affection is nurtured. With a Holy Spirit, where we can hear the Holy Spirit and he nurtures us and shapes us. Relationships that shape us, rhythms that shape us, patterns where God will shape our heart the way he would have it to be. Here's the deal. I spend so much of my time thinking of God's prohibitions against sin, uh, you know, anger and, and, and all the uh, seven deadly wounds and all the, you know, pride. I, I worry so much that, oh, I did it again. Ugh. I failed him again. Now I have to go back and earn his love again. That's my reflex action. Might not be yours, but it's mine. And instead, what we're supposed to be doing is taking the reality of these truths and pressing it on our hearts, pressing it on our minds, pressing it into our habits so that we stop thinking that way. So the Holy Spirit begins to shape our thinking, begins to shape our affections. So we stop thinking of sins as just things that God has arbitrarily laid out there for us to just just stumble into and fall to so he can like wag his finger at us. Instead, recognize them for what they are, things that hurt us deeply and harm us deeply and actually believe that the Father loves us. And the reason he hates sin so much is because of the harm it does to us. And we take this reality that this is how we're loved and we press it into our hearts. We press it into our minds and we press it into every corner of our existence. Because when we realize that this kind of love pursued us, this kind of love exists, this kind of access to the Father is there, There's no way that it enters your life and doesn't affect you. There's no way that kind of relationship doesn't change you. There's no way a power of that kind of God doesn't change you. Now, here's the deal. Second, stay with me for a second because there's a a danger here. And you could immediately, if you're me, and I'm talking to the me's in in here, right? Not all of you, but the me's in here, like, like me. We immediately go, yep, you're right. I don't recognize God's love enough. I have to work harder. This is what I'm saying. So be very cautious of that. What I'm saying is to recognize the beauty of the love and let the power of that love shape you. I'm out there biting the mailman instead of saying, how am I supposed to live as a son of the king? I'm out there living out of my human nature primarily instead of out there living saying, what does a child of the king live like? He crawls to the king and says, forgive me, knowing that his father will. He lives out knowing that he is a child of the king in his relationships, in his work, in in his daily life, in his family, in his relationships. What does it look like to be a representative of this kind of love in my parenting? What does it look like to be this kind of representative of this kind of love in my marriage, in my friendships, in my work, in my everything it's pressing this reality deep into our soul that changes us the power of this love and this relationship this is what we celebrate this is what we live in light of this is what is available to you and i think too often i worry and i struggle with all of the sinfulness and all of the brokenness in my heart and i keep thinking i'll never make it i'll never be good enough and what the father is saying what john is writing to these people what the father says to us is i don't think you understand the power of what exists inside of you You don't understand the power of what lives inside of you. 
the love that lives inside you, the power, that power of that relationship can change and overcome everything. This is how we live stable in a world that is trying to shake us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reality of your love. I thank you for the beauty of your love. I thank you for, it's not the love, it's your, the relationship that you desire to enter into with us. You desire for us to know you. You desire for us to be with you. You long for us to be known by you, to know us, for us to know you. You want good for us. You want us to be able to live stable lives in the face of tragedy, to live stable lives, not being shaken in the face of great trauma to know that you have created a world with you at the center. May this be the great stabilizing force in our life, the great force that, great power that we live out of, the place that we worship from, the place that we live from, this place where We know how much our sin cost. It's that the God-man had to come and die. And we also know how loved we are, that the God-man would come and die, that we may have life. Mm. May this change everything for us. May it make us stable as we apply these truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.